Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I do not get results, they do not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to the Create a New Tomorrow show with Ari Gronich, the performance therapist. Today I have with me Eric Chesson, the founder of Autism Fitness. He is an exercise physiologist with an extensive background in applied behavior analysis. Eric's been working with the ASD population of all ages and abilities for nearly 20 years. He's produced uh, some training for other fitness professionals to be able to do the same and actually has over 400 people that he has trained to work with that population. Eric, welcome. Thank you, Ari. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, how does applied behavior analysis and autism go together and autism fitness go together? What, what, is, what is that about? Yeah, so uh, my background originally was as a uh, personal trainer working with general population, and I had an opportunity to start working with the, the autism population uh, via a, a classmate that I had in graduate school. I was studying uh, principles of, of human behavior and behavior analysis. So when I started working in the program and, and getting what we would call dual training, continuing my education in fitness and exercise science, um, getting trained in the principles and practices of applied behavior analysis, I realized that there was this chasm, this big gap between disciplines. And um, over the course of a few years, I started taking on, on the role of, of being the bridge. I, I, I really look at it as being the educational bridge between the fitness world and, and the best that we have to offer and, and the best information that we have in, in, on the fitness side and the autism population, meaning all of those people, family members, uh, professionals, therapists associated with caring for and, and providing uh, interventions for and education for the autism population. So, you know, in, in doing that and having created a, a methodology, the PAC profile, which is physical, adaptive, and, and cognitive, the reason that our program works, and it, it works in a variety of different ways, but the reason it has been successful and has been externally validated by so many people is because it's based in sound principles from different fields of practice that are all related um, to the autism population. So what we did was we strategies and, and concepts that already had efficacy and we put them together in a system and then went about proving that the, uh, the system works. And what's nice is I don't really have to prove that the system works anymore. Now I get to teach people how to in, uh, incorporate and implement the system. Nice. Very nice. It sounds like you've done a lot of integration of different modalities from different uh, professions with, mm -hmm. within the medical world, right? So, Yeah, and, and that's what I love to, I love seeing similarities or you see a concept or you see a premise that works in one field of study or one area of life and you see that, um, you see it work uh, elsewhere. And one of, one of the things that we talk about in our program is what I refer to as bonsai coaching where we are taking away not only distraction, but we're taking away any excess that we don't need in the program. And I like the analogy because number one, it gives someone a visual, but it's also a way that we can ground ourselves 
um, both in programming and I think psycho, uh, psychologically, emotionally, in what is the most important thing to do right now. Instead of trying to do everything, we want to focus on one or two really important things. And it's all about creating a hierarchy. And whenever I see something in, again, in, in one field of practice or one, you know, you take something from engineering and you can apply it to, uh, you know, to, to the study of nature or biology or chemistry. I love finding synchronicity through things because that's how you have a, a concept or a premise that is transcendent. You know, it, it, it can be carried over from one space to another, which again is another reason why our system has worked so well because we can speak the languages of all these different therapists and, and professionals. You know, we can speak to an occupational therapist knowing their world um, the same we can uh, the same way we can speak to a behavior therapist or a parent or right. um, or a speech pathologist, et cetera. Yeah, that you know, to me, you're you're speaking my language, so to speak, because mm -hmm. I always am telling people that if we're going to integrate our care and get the results that we want to get within the systems that we're creating, we have to learn how to speak the language of other modalities. We have to learn what they speak like because in a lot of cases, a doctor does not speak the same language as a chiropractor who does not sure. speak the same language as a massage therapist who does not speak the same language as a personal trainer, et cetera. And the problem that I've seen within integration and integrating care is that if they don't speak the same language or they don't even know how to um, collaboratively speak mm -hmm. that language, then- yeah get the results that we really want and results to me I'm the performance therapist that is mm -hmm. the thing that I had to do and in your case you're working with an autistic population mm -hmm. there 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 probably at least at the beginning wasn't a lot of expectation of results sure and yet you've managed to produce enough results that you've now had 400 other plus people want to learn and create a, you know, learn your system and create that kind of effect in their communities and society. So, you know, part of this is about building a movement, creating mm -hmm. a movement that is results based so that we can make our society a better place to live. And where, where have you found both the, the flaws the uh, the obstacles as well as the benefits in creating this movement that you've created. Well, the the flaws in terms of flaws, I think the general misunderstanding and misappropriation of what fitness actually is, and I think that's systemic throughout. Like you look at the U.S., for example, in in terms of the fitness industry, and you get this tremendous gradient scale of practitioner quality. And that might be true of other fields. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know um, in, the, in the medical community, for example, if we're talking about a general practitioner, I don't know what the span is from the least competent to the, the most competent and everything in between. But I'm sure for, for you as well, knowing the fitness industry it's for the it's unregulated you know there there's no actual fitness trainer license in in the u.s and you get i mean the the, the easy almost the cheap way to go is to you know it, it is to invoke the social media clause and say well look what goes on on instagram with fitness influencers or look what goes on on youtube and I think the major issue is that we don't really have a, a filter for it because at the same time, the, the same argument that can be made for, for licensing and for having structure, the, the devil's advocate or the, the, the argument against that would be, I'm, I know and I'm fortunate enough to be friends and colleagues with some of the most capable, competent, really remarkable fitness professionals in in the world who like had their original certification. And after that, they said, screw it. I don't, I don't need it. I'm just going to train and study and be mentored by people who really know what they're doing. 
I think for the average person or the general population, it is difficult to distinguish um, or, or to filter out good programming from good marketing or something that makes sense for someone with respect to an exercise protocol or not. Because the majority of people who contact me or who have contacted me in the past about autism fitness, if, if they have at all tried a, a fitness program for their son or daughter, or if it's in a school, it has something to do with um, a, you know, using a treadmill or, or yoga. And you have to ask, you know, obviously, if you, if you really want to get into what's going on, you have to ask more questions. But I think that there is not enough understanding of what fitness is and what programming can look like and what out, what outcome measures should uh, should be in place as well. So I think a general mm, mis, misconception or, or um, misappropriation of fitness, I, and also uh, the industry as a whole. And when people ask me about home-based home program, oh, you know, should I just go get a fitness DVD or should I look up this program on YouTube? I'll say, well, I wouldn't get a home dentistry kit. <laughs> I'd go to someone who knows what they're doing with that. And the analogy isn't, you know, a, a hundred percent crossover there, but at the same time, you also have to think, well, there are some people out there who have a good amount of education and expertise. Right. So one of the, the things that I notice about people in general mm. is that I've never walked in and, or had somebody walk in and ask me if they could interview me. Mm to see if I was qualified to work with them. Oh, sure. And so I've seen this in, in medical, in doctors, in personal trainers, in, uh, in therapists of all kinds. Somebody will ask a friend, who do you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll go to that person. And they've never explored whether that person is right for their specific conditions. And the doctors, the so on, don't have enough time or aren't trained, fitness especially, not trained in asking enough sufficient questions mm -hmm. to be able to ascertain the, an individualized program for somebody specific. Now, with autism, you mm -hmm. kind of have to go individual by individual, find out exactly what that particular person is needing, mm -hmm. and tailor your sessions directly to that person, not towards a group of people who have a label, meaning not everybody with diabetes has to have the same training because you need to train somebody with diabetes differently than you'll train somebody with say a hormone imbalance mm -hmm. or an injury to an ankle, et cetera. And so people don't know that they can mm -hmm interview their therapists, their trainers, their, those people to make sure that they are qualified, that we are a qualified bunch of people. And yes, in the fitness industry, we have no state or countrywide licensing mm -hmm. and board. We have individuals. So you may get somebody who took a two, two day online course, who's mm -hmm. never trained a person in their life. Have somebody who has run five marathons but has never done bodybuilding, mm -hmm. and you might have somebody right who has never ha experienced overweight who's now teaching you how to lose weight, but they don't have the experience of it, and so it becomes very difficult for a consumer to really figure out who the best person is for them. And that to me is definitely a system wide flaw. Mm -hmm. And especially when dealing uh, and working with the autism population, because they have to have somebody who's qualified sure. for that. So, how do you make sure that the people that you've trained are qualified, especially during this time of COVID, where everything that you're doing is online? And it's very difficult to get somebody to, to take a course while they have somebody in their office at the same time that they can practice on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, 
you know, like anything else right now, it's a challenge and there are certain aspects of it that, that, that we can, uh, that we can speak to or that we can, uh, we can take action on. So with our, our certified pros who go through our, our level one course, uh, they were, I'm proud of the fact that we've been told our level one exam is one of the hardest, if not the hardest exam that they've ever taken in a, in any type of certification course. And we also offer ongoing, um, ongoing training and education for everyone who's gone through our, um, our level one course as well too. And it's the impetus of, you know, that attendee or that certified pro to keep getting that education. Because if you're, you're, unless you get the certification to just have the information, which I don't think is the case for most people who, who go through our program, you're going to have more questions. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to continue to, as soon as you implement that first program with that first athlete, you're going to have questions. So we wanted to prepare ourselves for that also. So we make ourselves available to our certified pros, whether that's doing ongoing and continuing education or you know, the, the level two program was developed. Uh, and this is something I found interesting. We, we've had a few people ask us who haven't even gone through the level one program. They'll email us and say, hey, after the level one program, can I go right into you know level two? And we explain this is not about having the information. This is about using the information. So our level one certified pros uh, can't even get into the level two curriculum until they've had a year experience using the, the level one protocols as well. So we, we are working on, on different ways. Um, one in particular uh, that we're going to implement next uh, or at the start of uh, 2021 is for individuals who have their level one certification to renew and to do continuing education credits with us also, because we want the best out there and, and we want there to be a standard of practice. The, the whole basis of the curriculum is having a standard, the highest possible standard of practice for those who are delivering fitness and, and movement programs to this population. So for our certified pros, ha having that continued education, because like anything else in, in, in the fitness or movement world, all of the, and I think this could be true of just about any pedagogy that has a clinical basis or a clinical practice to it, all of the really relevant questions are going to come once you start using the information. Awesome. So how do you, how would you approach, say, a, a doctor or a therapist who has, I'm all about collaboration and power partners. So yeah. How would you approach a doctor or a therapist who has this population as their main population and say, I'd like to collaborate with you and I need from you this and I'm going to deliver that, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what would be your approach? Because, you know, I believe that the issues with the differences in our communities of medical mm -hmm. practitioners is one of language mm -hmm. understanding. And if we can understand each other, we can collaborate more to get better results. So what would be your approach? Asking questions, uh, you know, for, for any, any practitioner in the medical community, in the, in the fitness community, any, any of those supporting fields, you know, what, what does someone need or what, is, what does someone want to deliver or what, what, what do they want to offer to uh, the, the clients or the patients or the athletes that they serve? And for, for example, we've had two developmental pediatricians now who have gone through the level one certification. I don't know that they are regularly running the programs, but they under, this is a case where they wanted to understand the issue from the perspective of movement, because as you said, um, medical professionals don't get a lot of fitness training in, in, in medical school. Right. So, and it's not, I don't think it's a case of needing to know everything. I think it's also important to know enough about something to know where your, um, your amount of information is not enough. And then you can refer out. So for a, um, a physician working with the autism population, I think there's, there's a synergy 
in the practices for someone to be able to refer to me. And, you know, un unfortunately, most of the time, it'll be something to the effect of, oh, we have a lot of adolescents and teenagers uh, on the autism spectrum in the, in the practice who also happen to be obese, because somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think it's 43 or 44% of adolescents on the autism spectrum are clinically obese. So that would likely be, uh, be the conversation there, but I and our certified pros are able to offer something special there in the way of we know how to do fitness programming for this population. And I'm not expecting that the physician is going to take my course and then start offering in-house fitness. Right? That's not their job. Right. And it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be their job. What you want is collaboration that, that offers you know, the best of, of either practice. The same way I don't do any nutrition coaching for that. Do I know a little bit, a little bit about nutrition? Yes. Do I have a certification or a degree in nutrition? No. And, and but there are people who, who do. So you find the people um, who are good at what you're not good at, and you know enough to be able to distinguish who knows what they're talking about and who's just kind of making it up as they go along or, or doesn't know what they're, doesn't know what they're doing. And you find those people and you find a way to collaborate or, or at least a way to refer. Right. So I had a, a, a DO take my course, the Performance Therapy Academy course, mm -hmm. and she's a professor for over 25 years teaching other DOs. And what she said at the end of my course is, this needs to be taught by the thousands because I need people that I can refer to. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole point of her taking the class was to learn what I knew yeah, so that she knew who, the, who she could then send people to and who she could collaborate with, right? Yeah. And that is an unusual experience within our field. Mm -hmm. But if it became a grander experience, a more common experience, all of a sudden our systems would begin to shift because once you teach somebody something, they can't unlearn yeah. you taught them. Technically they can with Alzheimer's dementia, but mm -hmm. you get the point, right? They can't unlearn what they just learned. So it's not that they are the ones who will be doing or delivering that service, but they know what they need to know in order to know who to send somebody. Yeah. And maybe even within the autism scale, like you might have one set of, of clients that, mm -hmm. or patients that are really your bread and butter that you're mm -hmm. perfect at. And one of your students may have decided to specialize in a different form of autism that then they could send that person to, to get the better results with, right? So just definitely in the system itself to integrate, you know, I was taught, uh, I, I'm learning marketing because mm -hmm. I have hired so many marketers that have not panned out. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much a constant yeah, I'm, in, in, in the world of marketing is you'll go through a lot. I'm, we've had the, the same experience as well. That, so I'm learning marketing in order to learn what I need to know so that when I hire somebody the next time, yeah, going to be able to work out for me. That doesn't mean I'm one wanting to do the marketing. Just yeah. like for you, you don't want to be the medical doctor doing surgery, no. right? No. I, I think a great question to ask um, any any professional that I mean of any you know discipline. I don't I don't care if it's you know surgery or or tree cutting or an ice cream man or what what do you know that you what do you know of your profession that you wish everybody else knew. You know, both of the misconception, but like what two or three things would you want everybody else coming in? It's almost like the educated consumer. If someone has, if a reputable car dealer has someone coming in who already knows all about that car, you know, part of their job, you know, again, if they're reputable, maybe it's not the best example, is done for them already because you have someone who knows exactly what they want as opposed to someone walking in saying, I want, you know, a car that goes, all right, well, we're going to spend the neck, but they say, okay, I want this, I, I want this model car. And then a lot of that 
a lot of that job is already done. And if you, if you think about that from the perspective of um, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different professional si situations, also, it doesn't mean being an expert. It, it means knowing a couple of the questions to ask and some of the, some of the, again, developing a filter, you know, being able to know, okay, this sounds, this sounds legit versus I don't know about this so much. Yeah, I get that. So let me ask you this, because as you know, I'm, I'm a person who loves to con to create conflict and then mm -hmm. uh, solve the conflict. So mm -hmm. I like to create it pick a fight and then figure out the solution and solve it so that uh, that doesn't become a conflict anymore. So what do you think needs to happen in our industry mm -hmm. in order to get people to have better results? Because if you look actually right now at the, at the entire situation that we've been going through mm -hmm. with, with this lockdown and all that, mm -hmm. medical intervention has gone down mm -hmm. And so has death by medicine. So mm -hmm. they have stated, and you know, we'll have the numbers probably in a year or two much better dialed, yeah. dialed in, but they've said that the amount of intervention that we were doing was mm -hmm. so great and somehow so unnecessary that it was causing more issues than it was solving. Death by medicine, I think, is the number three cause of death. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think needs to happen in our industry in order to shift that system so that we are results oriented, we are collaborative in nature? What's the psychology? You, you're a behavior analysis, right? Analyst. So what's the psychology behind it that we need to really create this shift? Mm -hmm. Well, first I've, I have the background in it, but I don't have the degree. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to purport to be of a profession that I am not. However, I would say, I don't know if it's the fitness. I don't know if it's the fitness industry itself. And I'm sure the argument can be made of that. I think a lot of it is cultural too. And it's this, re, it's this reactive model. And I've seen this argument made numerous times about how, oh, the fitness industry has to shift more towards the general population or um, more towards the sedentary and, and obese population. But I don't know, you can't force someone to be your client. You, you can't force someone to buy something that they don't wanna buy. So I don't know that it's an industry shift. So I, I think the industry as a whole, I don't think licensing at this point is a bad idea. I, I think that creating a, a standard of practice um, that is very high and, and, and based in safe, effective practices is a, is a good idea. But I don't know, the, the short answer is I don't know. The longer answer is I don't know because I don't know if that is an, an inherent issue just for the fitness industry as a whole or it's the fitness industry in the United States dealing with the culture of the United States that tends to have tends to have some extremes. You have someone who is either a fitness in, uh, enthusiast and they are motivated to participate or they're, they're not at all, which seems to make up the majority of the country. I think maybe it, it, it starts in, in the public sector, in schools also, and not looking at physical education or health education as a secondary class and really making it a really making it something that we're again speaking to along the same lines of any other educational curriculum so so that it takes on more more importance and and a higher place in the hierarchy of of what do we really uh, appreciate in the gotcha. culture so i think that i, I think it's a multi-system approach I, I i completely agree you know one of the things uh i have kids and stepkids that mm -hmm. have been in schools and they are have played sports and I've gone into their into talk with their coaches about injuries mm -hmm. and how to prevent injuries and most of them uh, are really still doing the same thing that we did 40 years ago in PE class jumping mm -hmm. jacks and stuff to warm up but not mm -hmm. really training a body 
for the sport that they're playing in, for the mm -hmm. life they want to lead, et cetera. And so it definitely needs to be more of a planned out kind of a program within schools going from very young, because nowadays kids are getting, you know, tossed into the world of agents and mm -hmm. outs and so on at such young ages mm -hmm. and they don't have the entourage mm -hmm. of therapists and trainers and people that will help them mentally and physically prepare for that sport and so you you get all kinds of injured athletes mm -hmm. that uh that now can't play have no hope don't think that anything's possible and they don't have that backup like sure. a professional athlete would have. So I agree. I agree completely with that. I, I do think that the industry as it in itself has some splaining to do as, uh, as Ricky Ricardo would say, you've got some splaining to do, mm. you know, because if we allow somebody to become a certified personal trainer, mm and yet they have only two days of online courses, have never mm -hmm. seen anybody, and really have just memorized the answers to a few questions. Sure. Then we're doing them a disservice. We're doing both the consumer a disservice as well as the profession at large mm -hmm. a disservice. But that goes beyond that. It goes to the nutrition. It goes to mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the medical community. They're trained and very specifically in taking care of chronic disease and emergency medicine, right? So chronic disease, they treat, they don't mm -hmm. cure, they only can treat and they, you know, work with emergency medicine, which they're fantastic at, right? Mm -hmm. But I had, I'll give you an example. I had a, a, a nutritionist, a dietitian. Mm -hmm who was drinking a diet Coke in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I asked her about the diet Coke. Mm -hmm. And her response was, I like to eat my calories, not drink them. Mm -hmm. Now she's a dietitian. She was about a, a 50, 60 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. And she's the person who's guiding. At the time, my, my wife mm -hmm. who was pregnant mm -hmm. <laughs> in nutrition, Mm -hmm. and completely not up to date with her continuing education or she wouldn't have been saying and doing the things she was doing and, and saying, but also these are the people that we're going to for our care. And so it leaves the system kind of at issue and the system of how we train consumers and how we train the the people who are going to be patients in finding out who who they need to go to and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier um interviewing your practitioner interviewing mm -hmm. your trainer interviewing the person that is going to be working with you to find out if they're mm -hmm. if they're qualified because you know the old joke what do you call the person who finished last in medical school mm -hmm. doctor mm -hmm. right and everybody Oh, my doctor's the best. Nobody says, my doctor sucks. You should go to him, mm -hmm. right? They say, my doctor's the best. You need to go to, well, how many doctors have you been to? Mm -hmm. How do you know if that person's the best? How right. do you know the best for that person? How do you know if the fitness trainer is the best for somebody with autism? So how do we fix that is really the, the, the question that I would pose to you based on the fact that you have such specialized knowledge and you've experienced integration of multiple modalities? Mm. Uh, I, I think demonstration is key. Now for the medical community, you know, it's, it's difficult to be, um, you know, with, uh, for a physician anyway, uh, other than, you know, uh, awards and certificates and, um, you know, whatever other, pedigree or accomplishments they have for us. And I, I can only talk about, you know, with, with reference to the autism population and what we're doing, because there's not really anything out there in, in terms of an educational system. And there's nothing else out there like the PAC profile, a, a systemized way to go about um, working with this population in a fitness capacity. 
<clears throat> excuse me, we're working on making this the standard curriculum and you know, the, really the gold standard curriculum where this is looked at as you must proceed this, this way because there's, again, it has that, it has that validity. There, there is that proof component. There is that outcome measures and people can actually see it. You know, when we put up or one of our certified pros puts up a video of their athlete on social media and someone can actually see them, oh, they're progressing or, oh, they're able to do this. That is, that, that's a piece of proof that, that we can offer. So our goal is to have the standardized system looked at as the, you know, you do not pass go until this is in the conversation because we know what we're doing. Our certified pros um, who are continuing with the, the education know what they're doing and, and the, curriculum, uh, the curriculum itself works. So when you're talking about a, you know, a, a niche population, the questions to ask are, really, you know, how do you account for this? So how do you account for, you know, behavior? And what's the overall goal of the program? And I think when people start listing 12 or 14 or 20 different benefits of the program, you're, you're getting away from the, the intention of what it's supposed to do. And that's, this comes back to what you and I were talking about also with, in terms of um, cognitive capacity also. Will fitness, it will, functionally sound fitness programming have an, have a beneficial impact on cognitive functioning for our athletes with autism? Probably, but I can't make that claim because I don't know what that's going to look like or sound like or, or what the, observ uh, the observable truth outcome is going to be for any one of our athletes. I don't, I don't know, so I can't speak to it until there's something that we can actually validate. Right. So that's where, to me, the integration comes in because the fact of the matter is, is that we can test somebody we can put things on their brain do fmri of before mm -hmm. afters we can test for these things and so you know the question is one how do we uh how do we educate the public mm -hmm. so that your program is creating a standard of practice mm -hmm. and two the doctors the the scientists the lab geeks who mm -hmm. love to test things and put something to practice so that you, you know, you take a, a client and put them through the system and then mm -hmm. testing them the entire time befores and afters, because it is possible to do. So how do you get them on board with say, saying, okay, let's, let's really test this out. Let's find out if this works or doesn't work and how it works or why it works or, you know, because we do have the technological ability now to do that. And it's something that I've said to, to doctors about herbs and vitamins mm. because most of them aren't tested in their whole form. They're only tested by the time they become pharmaceuticals, right. which are made mostly out of mm -hmm. herbs. Right. And so, uh, well, okay. So, the, the excuse that I hear for not doing them, not doing supplements, not taking them from doctors, from that, the Western medical perspective, mm -hmm. it, there's no science behind it. It's all anecdotal evidence, not scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. Well, we have the ability to test this stuff. So why don't we do it? Why aren't we taking, why aren't you, I'll, you know, I'll challenge you. Why mm -hmm you taking this to a set of geeks in a lab in white coats who only do <clears throat> who only do testing mm -hmm. and love it and get what you're doing to have provable scientifically not just clinical or anecdotal but scientifically provable results mm -hmm. oh well we are we are doing that as well, we have one one of our level one graduates who wrote a thesis paper uh, on implementing the PAC profile. We have some more interesting research that's going to be conducted in the next in the next year or two. So there will inevitably be sci scientific data or or rigorous scientific study using a methodology. Uh, you know, using a methodology that coincides with. A, a paper that will wind up in a journal. 
I think the the other part of that is there are so many variables in in fitness and in in movement also. So when you're talking about implementing a program, you know, com compared to what? And this is a conversation. This may be slightly away from 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 the primary topic here, but I think that it it enters into the conversation. I I was having a talk with. Um, one of our certified pros who has a son on the autism spectrum, who's also starting up a, um, a facility for this population and their families, fitness, fitness and other activity of, of daily living training as well. And we were talking about the scientific data or, or the validation or the provability of fitness being a good thing for this population. And I said, well, if you want the opposite of that, if you want to do the control, uh, the control group, we've been doing it forever because fitness has not been a part of, of the lives of the majority of people who are on the autism spectrum. The null hypothesis is already in because we're not comparing different fitness programs. We're comparing the fitness program to not doing anything, which we know does not have the best outcomes. So then if we want to start talking about comparing our, you know, our system versus other existing systems, I'd have to see some other existing you know, systems, not just a bunch of exercises thrown together, but an actual, an actual system. And then you'd also need background information on why that set of exercises functions, functions as, a, as a system. And that's why you know, research is always going to be but in the fitness world anyway, not necessarily from the pharmaceutical world, but in the fitness world, fitness is always going to be behind practice because practice, you can innovate all day long. And in order to have, there's so many, so many flawed fitness studies because when it's happening in a lab and it's not happening in the real world, you know, when you're doing hypertrophy analysis on a single exercise, instead of that exercise in conjunction with a whole program, you have an inherently flawed study because you're not actually measure, you're measuring the thing in a lab. You're not measuring it in the real world. Right. Isolation. That's the, that's the key to why pharmaceuticals cause so many side effects. Whereas the herbal component may not cause that many side effects is because they're isolating out components versus taking into consideration a whole. And that's the same thing that you just, yeah. With regard. Well, and, and as you mentioned earlier, also, even, and I am not an herbologist or, or anywhere near it, but from my understanding, there's a huge spectrum, you know, when you're getting it at origin and you're even getting it from a certain region versus getting it from, you know, CVS, you know, when you're getting CBD oil from a drugstore on sale because it's 30% off, versus getting it from you know a reputable supplier who is adamant that their supply chain checks off you know 10 boxes that's a different product absolutely that, that, those, those are different things and i'm sure it's true of, of herbs as well you know by the time it gets to the the discount table at a drugstore you're not dealing with the same substance at all yeah absolutely i'm going to go off off this particular side and you presented at TEDx in Hawaii. What was mm -hmm. your presentation about? Uh, my presentation was about um, fitness for the autism population and why number one, it's critical that we integrate fitness programs for this population. And number two, about having, having expectations without having expectations and what i mean by that is our initial inclination might be to to discount or perceive that someone is not capable of doing something and regardless of what where they where they are or where they aren't right now our our mantra in autism fitness is we're always meeting our athlete where they are right now with respect to their physical adaptive and and cognitive skills and that you always need a plan so if they can't physiologically press, you know, 10 pounds overhead right now, it doesn't absolve them of pressing. We say, all right, well, can they press two? Can they press, you know, four? How much support 
do they need? So the, the theme of the talk was why fitness is important for this population, but also what we can achieve through that as well. And what our athletes can achieve given the right environmental considerations, meaning how do we set up for success for that individual? That's awesome. Uh, last question mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about is the movement. So your goal mm-hmm. is 750 certified pros mm-hmm. in the next 12 months. Yeah. Cutting your 24 to 12, because I think you could do it. Sure. Let's just say you, you put in the, in the next 12 to 24 months, I think you could do it in 12. So let's say you reach that goal mm-hmm. of 750 pros mm-hmm. in your system beyond the feeling of satisfaction that you reached a goal what is it that you are hoping for from that movement of practitioners for fitness to be spoken in the same sentence as anything else that is pertinent or is an immediate we must have this for the autism bus. so when we're talking about speech and occupational therapy when we're talking about um, behavior therapy, we're also talking about, well, what, you know, who are we finding? Where's our local, you know, certified pro or it it does the school that this individual is going to be attending, regardless of whether we're talking about a private program or a public school, do they have an autism fitness certified pro on staff to deliver, deliver the, the program the way it was meant to be delivered? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Just a a quick follow-up to that is if you had that Mm -hmm. everywhere, right? If you had Mm -hmm. that, what would you want to do next? Train people to take my place, which is what we're doing now with the the level two program. The autism fitness certification is going to have three levels to it. Our level three is going to be our master level where I have people who can teach, teach the level one course also. So we're working towards that. It's, it's replication, it's systematizing and then dissemination and then replication. Okay. Do you want this to be covered by insurance? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we're looking at, and it's an interesting conversation, if we're looking at preventative care and this is, I started this conversation with, um, with a few people in, internally, people who are involved with autism fitness. If we look at what insurance companies are doing now, many of them are at least reimbursing or partially reimbursing for gym memberships. Unfortunately, with our population, you know, I'm thinking of any of the athletes I've worked with uh, over the past 20 years, they could have a gym membership. They could have five gym memberships, but they walk into a gym and if they don't have the appropriate support, then they're just walking into a gym. And the analogy that I use is you can walk into a bank, but it doesn't mean any money is being deposited in your account. You are just in a bank. You can be in just a gym and particularly for our population, we have to ask, is it safe? Is the environment appropriate? Do they have access to what they they need in order to uh, have their fitness program? If the answer is no, which right now the answer is resoundingly no, then how do we change that so it's not just a gym membership in name so that you can get a discount on it through insurance, but something that actually does what it is supposed to be doing, which I think is an unfortunate rarity in, in many cases now, but that, you know, that's, that's the, you know, the scientific test of anything. Does it do what it's supposed to do? Yeah, well, this is this is one of uh, the areas that I like to to fight, is because the insurance companies only care about procedures versus caring about results and results typically. And mm-hmm. I'm not only I'm gonna say typically, and uh, and if you got a gym membership but you're getting no results, what good is the insurance company's pay? Right. Of- yeah, I, I think the measurability, and I think it it what needs to change is just the outcome measures. I think it's new for the insurance companies. Now, by no means am I standing here and and defending the insurance companies. I think it just needs to be looked at in terms of it's, it's new for them to start discounting or reimbursing because the idea for them is as, as any other business, they want to, uh, they want to reduce their cost and increase their bottom line. 
because the surgical, uh, a surgical procedure, you know, on, on average is likely going to cost more than a couple sessions in the gym. I think it makes sense. I, I think it's in the best interest of any insurance company to cover that. The question is, how do you actually measure, you know, how do you, how do you measure that? And what standards are you using as well? For example, if they're using a BMI standard, it's ridiculous because me at, you know, five, six, and right now close to 180 pounds, clinically obese, right, right now, right? So that's certainly not the case, just the fact that I'm on a hypertrophy program uh, right now. So uh, I, I think, and it, I think it comes back to the beginning of the conversation too, in having an interdisciplinary model because a an underwriter for that insurance company may not appreciate the difference between having the gym membership and actually going to the gym and having a, you know a sustainable, appropriate program for everybody. But it, it's another conversation to be had, and it may not be the most immediate conversation that's going to occur. But at some point, if they want a return on investment for uh, for reimbursing gym memberships, we have to ask, well, what is the gym membership actually doing? What is participating in this actually doing? Excellent. Thank you so much. So last but not least, I ask this of all of my guests is what three actionable steps mm -hmm. can you give our listeners or my listeners so that they can go off tomorrow mm -hmm. and do something to change their life? Mm, to change their life? Yeah. Are there yeah. a lot of people around yeah. the actionable steps that they can do to help create a, a better world? Uh, number one is take two to three seconds to answer somebody after they have said something that you either disagree with or something that is new to you. Uh, thing number two is that your perspective in life is not the truth. It's just a lens that you were born with and that, that has been with you the entire time. Three is, and I, I like the campfire rule, man, is always try to leave things better than, than you found them. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate having you on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Ari Gronich with Create a New Tomorrow, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.